Good morning. I'm Julie Dinwiddie, and I'd like to welcome everyone to White Plains Baptist Church today. If you're new to our church, we're so glad you chose to worship with us today. Uh, we have a welcome desk and restrooms and nursery out in the lobby, if you need those. Announcements this week, women's Bible study, Mondays at 6 o'clock, new locations at the Pierce home, and the address is in the bulletin. Men's Bible study, Thursdays at 6.30 a.m., we are going through the Gospel of John. Thursday morning fellowship, Thursdays at 9 a.m., starting on February 8th, for men and women of all ages who are available on Thursday mornings for a time of fellowship, Bible study, and prayer. Student ministry, Super Bowl party, Sunday, February 11th at 5.30. Watch the big game on the big screen in here with some of your biggest friends. Bring some game food to share. Easter egg drop, March, Saturday, March 30th at 1 p.m. This is an indoor egg drop right here in this room to give kids in our community a memorable experience and to invite families to our Easter services. I'd like to share Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Worship with us. Good morning, church. It's good to see you this morning. Never know what God will use in your life, something seemingly insignificant, to change your host's perspective. The song that did this for me. I believe 
some warmth on your face. That's right. We learned a word this week. Uh, it is good to get some natural vitamin D. Walking in sunlight all of my journey over the mountains through the deep hills Jesus has said, I'll never forsake thee. Promise divine that never can fail. Heavenly sunlight, heavenly sunlight, flooding my soul with glory divine. Hallelujah, I am rejoicing, singing his praises, Jesus is mine. Shadows around me, shadows above me, never conceal my Savior and God. He is the light, in Him is no darkness, ever I'm walking close to His side. Heavenly sunlight, heavenly sunlight, flooding my soul with glory divine. Hallelujah. I am rejoicing, singing His praises, Jesus is mine. In the bright sunlight, ever rejoicing, pressing my way to mansions above. Singing His praises, gladly I'm walking, walking in sunlight, sunlight of love. Heavenly sunlight, heavenly sunlight. Flooding my soul with glory divine. Hallelujah, I am rejoicing, singing his praises. Jesus is mine. Well, there's an account uh, in the Gospels um, where Jesus is speaking with the disciples, and he asks them who the crowds are saying that he is. And a couple of verses later, um, in 20 of Luke chapter 9, he makes it personal. He pushes a little bit further. And he asks the question, who do you say that I am? We can come and sing songs with the congregation. We can hear all the sermons. But if we can't answer that question for ourselves right here, we've missed it. past the point of weary is your burden weighing heavy is it all too much to carry let me tell you about Lord Jesus do you feel that empty feeling shame's done all it's stealing are you desperate for some healing let me tell you 
accepted you into our hearts. If there's anyone here this morning that, that hasn't felt that, that doesn't know the peace, the grace, the mercy, and the love, that you will make it known this morning. God, you are so good and worthy of all praise and glory. We give that to you. It's in Jesus' name that we did pray. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. This is the first Sunday of the month, and as such, it is our practice here at White Plains to observe communion. Listen to this from...
First Corinthians 11, 23-26, on the night Jesus was betrayed. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Through communion, we proclaim Jesus' death. This is worth remembering and celebrating, especially when you realize what that means for us. We practice open communion here at White Plains. That means if you're a trusting follower of Jesus, regardless of your church membership or affiliation, you are welcome to partake in this. However, if you do not know what you think of Jesus, we would ask, these next few moments. There is a glute at the welcome desk just right through those doors. I will invite our ushers down to prepare to serve us and as they are coming down I want to remind you that we have stacked the elements in the tray. So we will only pass the tray once. The juice cup is going to be on top of another cup that will hold the bread. Please make sure you get both cups when the tray passes you. As you take the bread and juice, hold on to them, and as you consider your heart, confess to God what may need to be confessed, repent where needed, and submit to God's sovereignty in your life and circumstances. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you, Father, for who you are. Father, bless this time, that this time would be yours. Father, bless this time. Let us see you. Let us focus on you. Thank you, Father. Amen.
Nearing the end of his earthly life, Jesus is sitting with his friends, the disciples. Now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Jesus continues, And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this moment. Thank you, Father, that we're able to remember the hope that you've given us. Father, thank you for the the hope that you've brought us and for allowing us to have a moment to remember the sacrifice that you made. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you, Father, for your goodness. Bless us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Welcome to White Plains Baptist Church. My name is Gary, and I joyfully serve as senior pastor here. And uh, if you're new to us, I want to say a special welcome to you. You are an answer to prayer. I've been praying for you and your family this week, trusting that God is at work in your life, revealing himself to you in ways that you can know him better and understand uh, his desire for you. As our guest this morning, I, I hope you find our church to be a warm and welcoming group of people. Thank you again for being our guests with us this morning. I want to say pardon our dust. We're almost finished. If you've snuck a peek in the kitchen, it's a, it's a whole different place. It looks really, really good. Next week, I think we'll be able to open up those doors and, and really show it off. It's looking really, really good, and I'm excited uh, to see how God uses that new space uh, for ministry here uh, at White Plains. Kids, it's always good seeing you here at church. It was good seeing Y'all at Ralphie's yesterday, or or from bowling like I am, I either need to be less active or more active. I'm not sure which, but just, are you sore too? (laughs) Well, I am glad so many of y'all were there with us. We had a good time. We had many of our kids were there. We had had a blast. Um, I do want to show you something to prepare you for Easter. I don't know if you understand what an egg drop is, but we're going to have these helmets for everyone. Now, they're not protective, so don't think that we're going to throw eggs on you, but it's, it's, it's something just to, that we're going to give to our, our, our kids and our guests who come. Uh, we'll have a sticker that says Egg Drop 2024, but we're going to have eggs falling from the ceiling in this room, and we've practiced this. They don't break all the time. <laughs> That's what the helmets are for, um, but they, uh, it, will be, it will be fun chaos as we uh, invite our community to celebrate Easter in a way that, uh, that that they know how to. And our hope is, as folks come here and experience the fun that we have with our kids, that, that they will feel comfortable to come back to the next Sunday, which would be Easter Sunday. It's always a, a, an easy time for folks to show up at a church who don't usually go to a church. And so we try to make that as easy as possible. And so that's what the egg drop is. We've got uh, hundreds, maybe thousands. We've got lots of eggs. Uh, now, we'll need candy to fill those. We'll talk more about that as the time comes. But 
but I just wanted you kids to be ready for an egg drop in this room. It'll be fun. It'll be good. Kids, thanks so much for being with us this morning. You are dismissed to go uh, to the lobby for Kids Church. Kids Church is for kids in kindergarten through fifth grade. And parents and grandparents, you can pick them up in the lobby after our service is over. As they're leaving this Thursday, is there our first uh, Thursday morning fellowship, uh, February 8th at 9 a.m. We're going to uh, start this new thing. I'm, I'm super excited about it. Now, this is for anyone, men or women, retired, working, but this is a good time for you, uh, stay-at-home parents or anyone else who finds themselves at home at 9 o'clock, uh, 9 o'clock on a Thursday morning. You are more than welcome to be here and join us um, as we try to enjoy uh, fellowship with each other, spending some time in prayer, spend some time in studying the Bible. Uh, now, if you're, if, you're, if you're already active in our women's group or our men's group, this is not a replacement for that. This is, this is for those who, who aren't able to do the, the Thursday morning men's study at 6.30 in the morning or the uh, Monday evening uh, 6 p.m. study with our, with our ladies. But um, I heard a guy talking uh, a couple weeks ago um, about church um, and why people come to church. And this guy, he's a church thinker kind of guy. He, he talks a lot about the church and trends and things. His name is Kerry Newoff. And he said that people don't really come to church for the preaching anymore. And I thought that was a relief. But they, they and, and you probably didn't come here to hear that. So um, people don't come to church anymore for the preaching. Maybe back in the 70s or 60s, maybe the 80s. The, the pastor was the person who, who spoke and you, you came. Uh, you know, Billy Graham was kind of that personality, I guess. But, but people don't come for that anymore because they can, they can find teaching and preaching on the Internet. Now, whether that's good or bad, that's a conversation for another, another time. But, but people don't come for the preaching, and they really don't come for the music either. It's the same kind of thing. There are um, three that I know of. Christian or radio stations to play Christian music here in this community. Uh, you've got apps on your phone that will play anything that you want. And so when people come to a church, it's not the preaching, it's not the music they're coming for. Now, those things are important and we have to do those. The Bible tells us that we have to sing together and we have to hear the word preached to us. But those aren't the reasons why people come to church. Why do you think people come to church? It's each other, it's us. We, we can't find that on our phones. We can't find each other on the radio. We come to church for community. We come to church for each other. People find community in groups or on ministry teams. And the preaching and music, again, they're important, but we have to realize that that's not all there is to church life. Each other plays a very important role in our experience as church together. And that's one of the reasons, one of the many reasons I'm excited about this Thursday morning group that's going to start this Thursday at 9 a.m. And so if you're available, I hope you can make it. We'll start over in the, in the um, chapel building in room 126 at Sandra Houchin Sunday School class. And once uh, we see if we fill that room up, we'll move to a different room and, uh, and we'll spend some good time together uh, building that community. So I'm, again, really excited about that. We're in our How We Got Here series, and we are quickly looking at the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. We're trying to form an introduction to the rest of the Bible in this series. 
the first 11 chapters in the book of Genesis give us a framework to better understand the rest of our Bible. The Bible is many stories telling one big story. That's the story of God rescuing people like you and me, and God rescues us because he's bringing us back to the holy work that he created us for. This morning is the midpoint of our series. We've had four messages before this morning. We'll have four more after this morning. We're going to be in Genesis 6 today. Now, we're skipping over Genesis 5 because it's a genealogy from Adam to Noah through the line of Seth. And it's a great chapter. If you want to read through it, I do recommend it. I read through it a couple times this week. And as I read through it, I came away thanking God for being at work through the lives of the people that were listed there, leading us up to Noah. When we say we have a sovereign God, and we say that, we say we have a sovereign God, we mean that he is in control at all times, of all things. To have a sovereign God, we always have a sovereign God. He's not just sometimes sovereign. That's not sovereign. He's not in control just some of the times. He's in control all of the time. Nothing escapes him. Nothing surprises him. Nothing overcomes him. None of us, no matter how powerful we are or how powerful we think we are, none of us can do what God does in Genesis 5. That is, keep the line of Seth to Noah in such a way that when we get to Noah this morning, we find Noah to be righteous and blameless in a world that is not. We can't produce that. We certainly can't do it over multiple generations in hundreds and hundreds of years, but God can, and God does. Let me quickly give us a recap of what we've learned so far in Genesis in these first few chapters, now that we're at the midpoint of our study. In Genesis 1, we see that God is the creator. God created everything. That means <clears throat> that, means that God created the earth and everything in the universe. Now, if there's something beyond our universe that we're not aware of, God created that too, because God created everything. He created things good, and this is the biggest message of Genesis 1, that God created things good. When God created, he created things good. He created things orderly. God created man last because everything else that was created in the creation account was created to support man's life and his purpose because God wanted a home with his creation. God doesn't need anything to live and to survive, but he knew that man did. And God wanted a home with man, with his creation, so that's why he created everything. That's Genesis 1. In Genesis 2, we're zoomed in on a man. God created this man differently than he created everything else that was listed in Genesis 1. He formed the man out of dirt. We are zoomed in on this man because God is showing us that just like this man, you and I, we are created special. 
and for a relationship with God. God gave this man a purpose. He gave them, him a purpose to have dominion on the, over the other living things and to keep the garden. Now, the Garden of Eden is the home that God has with his creation. That's the Garden of Eden. Much like I mentioned earlier about the draw of community as a reason people come to church, this isn't a new draw. God has always created us to want to need community. It was this way from the very beginning. God created a woman because the man needed community. He needed a helper. Even though that, God, that the man had God in the garden, it was the man and God, God said that wasn't good. The man needed community. And so he created the woman. He needed help to do the holy work that God had called and created him for. So that's Genesis 2. In Genesis 3, we're introduced to a new creature in the garden. This is the serpent. The serpent, we find out later in Revelation 12, is the Satan or the devil. From the very beginning, the spiritual world and the earthly world existed together in the garden. You can think of the garden as where heaven and earth meet. It's because heaven and earth meet here in the garden that this is where we find God residing in creation. The serpent starts to question what God has said to the humans, and he appeals to the sinful desires the woman has about a forbidden tree. The woman lets her desires, the temptation, get the best of her, and she eats what she was commanded not to eat. Sin presents itself for the first time here in the garden, here in God's good creation. The man eats. The couple is punished and kicked out of the garden. This is God's home office of sort. Even as, even as they are punished, God gives them a promise that one day the offspring of the woman will defeat the power of sin and death. That's Genesis 3. In Genesis 4, we see sin spreading. This was last week. Sin was spreading. Spread from the couple to their offspring. We have the first recorded murder in the Bible. The hope that started in chapter 4 with the birth of Cain and Abel quickly diminishes as temptation overtakes Cain and Abel is killed. Cain is punished. Hope fades over several generations, the sin in Cain finds its way to Lamech, who also kills. But he kills because someone hurt him. As, as sin spreads, hope seems to vanish. But hope returns at the end of chapter 4 with the birth of Seth. And then Genesis 5, Seth leading us to Noah, but it doesn't stop at Noah. Last week I mentioned Luke chapter 3, and the line of Seth goes through Noah ultimately lead us to Jesus. Jesus is the promise kept. The promise that was made in Genesis 3 is kept in Jesus. And we have this through the line of Seth, through Noah. That's Genesis 5, which leads us to this morning in Genesis 6. Let's look at the first eight verses here in chapter 6. Now this uh, is going to be in your notes. Of course, you can always read your Bible with me. 
uh, you'll want to grab a bulletin or at least the notes each week. But let's look at Genesis 6, 1 through 8. When man began face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw that wickedness, the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I've made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Let's pray in response to what we just read. God, we thank you for your word to us. Lord, help us to realize the weight of our sinful choices. That it grieves you. It gives you sorrow. Lord, forgive us. For those of us who are trusting in Jesus, we can boldly come to you and say thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for Jesus who takes the weight of our sin, the burden of our sin, and brings us into a right standing with you. Lord, this morning as we look at Noah, we thank you for him. Lord, that you have used him because he found favor in your eyes. Thank you again for Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as you're following along in the story of Genesis, you see here that in Genesis 6 we have man beginning to multiply. Is this good? What do you think? Where have we heard humanity multiplying before in Genesis? In Genesis 1.28, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heaven, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. In Genesis 1, we have God saying, Be fruitful, and multiply. In Genesis 6, we have when man began to multiply. Is this good? Is this obedience? What do you think? It seems like Genesis 6 is living out Genesis 1, doesn't it? We might assume it is good. In a vacuum, maybe it would be good, but why do you think what's being played out here in Genesis 6 is really not what God intended in Genesis 1? We can do the right thing 
the wrong way, and it is still wrong. You've experienced this, right? Teenagers, I'm sure, have experienced this many times. You, you clean your room, but with an attitude and maybe a little bit of talk back to your parents. That's not good. That's not, that's not the right way to do it. You got the job done, but you did it the wrong way, and it's still wrong. It's not just teenagers. You probably have co-workers who, at work who do things they're supposed to do, but they do it the wrong way. It's still wrong. That's what we see here in Genesis 6. We can do the right thing the wrong way, and it's wrong. So much has happened between Genesis 1 and Genesis 6, and we understand that sin is completely out of control. It's spreading, and it's getting worse. Sin is not, the only, is not only part of the human condition, but we see in Genesis 3 that the fallen spiritual world is steep in sin as well. Now, Genesis 6 is by far the hardest chapter that we've come to together in Genesis. If you walk away from Genesis 6 this morning with more questions than you have answers, that would probably be normal. And I'll do my best to tie all these hard parts together, but if you have lingering questions, if you have thoughts about what is in God's Word, uh, my door is always open. My email is always ready to receive questions, and I'm happy to talk through difficult parts of the Bible. Because what's next here in Genesis is difficult. Many people, including many pastors, will just skip over it and say, that's too hard. We'll worry about that later. But in skipping over the hard parts of the Bible, and then this being included in that, by doing that, we miss something very important. This morning, if we just skip over what we address, we will miss how evil our sin is inside of each one of us. Now let me just read to you what the Bible says in verse 5. This is what the Bible says. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. How did we get here? That's the title of our series. How did we get here? And this verse, Genesis 6-5, is at the heart of of our title. The series is not so much about how we got here by being created, but how did we get here to Genesis 6, 5? Now you may hear these words and say, Gary, this is depressing. This isn't, this isn't happy. This isn't encouraging. Can't you just be positive? Can't you spin this away in a way to make me feel good about myself? We so much Christian life to be positive and encouraging. When we ignore these dark parts of the Bible, the truthfulness of who we are apart from Christ, we miss God. We miss 
the joy of our salvation, we have to sit in this. We have to understand what the Bible is telling us here. We come to a dark verse in the Bible. Now, this is probably not the darkest verse in the Bible, but it is one of the darkest verses in the Bible, and our instinct is to want to be encouraged and to feel something happy or good. These are the words in your Bible. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. This speaks to every human apart from Christ. But what's more is that this verse applies to us who are following Jesus when in our freedom we ignore the Holy Spirit inside of us. The only good in any of us is the Holy Spirit. That's the only good in any of us is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is only in those following Jesus. So how did we get here? The evil forces in the spiritual war world wage war with God and use humanity to attempt to hurt God. This is what's happening in Genesis. This is what happens today. Humanity, by and large, willfully follows the promptings of the evil and fallen spiritual world because we enjoy our wickedness. As in previous weeks, hope is coming. I promise. There's hope at the end of this chapter. So stay with me, but, but hope will be here before we leave this morning. But let's look at some of the hard stuff. Here in verse 2, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. So who are these sons of God? This is in your notes. No one knows for certain who these sons of God are. There's at least three options that people consider. The first option is they are fallen spiritual beings like the serpent. They are part of God's divine counsel that we read about later in the Bible. We talked about this group in our Invisible Creation class last year. For further study about this potential option, Job 1, 2, 38, Deuteronomy 32, Psalm 29, 82, 89, and Daniel 3. That's all there in your notes. That will speak more about this as an option. Now, this is the strangest option by far, but I think it is the most likely. The second option is the possibility of demon-possessed rulers from the line of Cain through Lamech. That's the second option. Demon-possessed rulers from the line of Cain through Lamech. Now, the third option is that they are the godly line of Seth marrying the ungodly line of Cain. Now, I don't believe that option two is a viable option because I don't think anyone who wrote the Bible or anyone who knows the Bible that could call the line of Cain sons of God. The third option is possible, and we definitely get commands later in the Old Testament for people of Israel not to intermarry with other groups of people. This is not a racial thing. It's a spiritual thing. The New Testament picks this up and tells us as Christians not to be unequally yoked. The third option could be likely, but I see the whole of the Bible pointing us to the first option. 
As you read and study your Bible and you think it's the third option, we can totally be friends. This is not a divisive issue, but if you're not sure of which one it may be, I would, I would point you to look at the first option and explore that as a possibility. I believe it's the first option because of verse 4, in part. We have this group called the Nephilim. Now, this term, Nephilim, is found in Numbers 13.33. This is the only two parts of the Bible that mention this phrase, this group of creatures called the Nephilim. It describes them and their offspring as extravagantly bigger than the people of Israel. Now, here's what we find in Numbers. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. So my line of thinking in these is that these Nephilim are not naturally occurring humans, so they must be something else. A possibility is that they are the offspring of the sons of God, the fallen spiritual beings, and humanity, the daughters of men. Now, we're in the weeds a little bit this morning, and I don't want us to stay distracted from what God is teaching us. The point that is made in Genesis 6, verse 5, is that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the hearts of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. God created things good. Remember Genesis 1. The point of Genesis 1 is God created things good and he created things orderly. Here in Genesis 6-5, we have disorder, we have chaos, and we have not good. We have fallen angels and humans together. Sin explodes, and it explodes to a point of verses 6 and 7. Look there at Genesis 6, 6 and 7. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. God is grieved by our sin. God is grieved by your sin. God is grieved by my sin. In God's grief, though, hope is not lost. You kind of think that hope is completely lost if God is saying he's sorry he ever made us. But in that statement, we're getting a picture of how severe our sin is. This passage speaks to our sin collectively throughout human history. Our sin causes God sorrow. Look at verses 8 and 9. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Hope remains. Noah, from the line of Seth, is righteous and blameless in a world that is not. Have you ever considered that the righteous and blameless always seem to be in the minority it's true. Those of us who are following after Jesus, we are called to be righteous. But many times, we will find ourselves in the minority. You might even find yourself all alone when you're standing 
in righteousness before God. But God remains sovereign. There is hope here with Noah. God sees the state of man's sinfulness and he brings Noah up to speed with his plans. God's making plans. He's calling Noah into a holy work that he created him for. Only, the only thing that, holy work that only he and God can do. This is why God creates any of us to do holy work that only we can do with God. He rescues us from our sin so that we are able to do this holy work alongside him. God plans to destroy what he created. As his creation, stop and think about that for a moment. God planned to destroy his creation. In verse 13, God says, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. God is going to destroy, he's going to do this because of the state of sin. There's no other reason that God would cause a flood to wipe everything out. Is God right to do this? Is he right in destroying everything? What do you think? People who find issues with God will say that God is unjust or he's unloving to destroy all life with this flood. These same people will accuse God when evil prevails, but is this a fair accusation? What do you think? Is God morally right in doing what he's going to do with this flood? Yes. God is the creator. God can do as he pleases with his creation. There is no authority over God to determine if his actions are appropriate or not. God is bound by himself and will never contradict himself, but God is free to destroy as much as God is free to create. God is altogether different than us. God is well within his rights, if you want to call them that, to do what he's going to do with this flood. Now we must understand that as God, he can do whatever he wants. But note how God does this. As God plans to destroy, his mercy shows up. Even in his sorrow and his grief over the sinful state of humanity, God has mercy. As God makes plans to destroy, he makes plans to save. This is in your notes. As God makes plans to destroy, he makes plans to save. When you go home today, go home considering that statement. As God makes plans to destroy, he makes plans to save. He gives Noah specific instructions for this plan of salvation. The ark that Noah will build will be a home for God's creation. That was what the Garden of Eden was supposed to be. Sin comes in, corrupts it. God changes to the ark that he asked Noah to build. That's going to be the home for God's creation while he punishes for sin. 
God protects as he punishes. He did this with Cain. He did this with Noah. And he does it with us. God punishes sin and provides salvation at the same time. Look at verse 22. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. We end this chapter like we have the last couple of, on a, a hopeful note. Noah's obedience to God stands out in stark contrast to the evil that surrounds him. Noah comes from a line of hope through Seth, and this line ultimately leads us to Jesus. We end in hope in Genesis 6 because humanity in Noah is doing holy work that God called him to do. Our obedience to the holy work that God calls each of us to will continue to give us hope. Even in a world that is headed to destruction, you and I, we can have peace with God when we trust God is in control, when he is sovereign, when we trust that God is sovereign. And when we turn from our sinful state, we put our hope and trust in Jesus who pays the penalty for our sin. The penalty of sin that we see here in Genesis 6 is death. It's destruction. This truth is echoed in Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I've said this to you before. The God of the Old Testament is the same as the God of the New Testament. We don't have different stories here. It's the same story. Sin deserves death. Sin today, just as much as it did in Genesis 6, deserves death and destruction. God is right in setting it up this way because he's the creator. He's the ruler. This is his world that we are living in. I'll invite the worship team to come back up. Our sin will lead, in, lead to destruction. I tell you this because I love you and I'm held captive by the word of God. This is not a feel-good message, but I hope you understand there's hope here. There's hope in Genesis 6. All sin, including yours, including mine, will lead to destruction and death. But God's mercy is more. God's mercy shows up in Noah. God's mercy shows up in Romans 6.23. It shows up in Jesus. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We're going to sing in a moment a song of invitation. If you want to talk more about what it means to allow Jesus to be your Lord, how to follow Jesus, this is a time for you to come forward and speak with me, or you can pray. You're also welcome to pray there where you are. Turn to God's mercy this morning as it is only found in Jesus. Would you stand with me as we pray? God, we come face to face with our sin. The destruction and death that it causes, we come to you completely helpless. We come to you knowing that we need you 
God, we thank you that you are a God of hope and that hope is here. That hope is found in Jesus who lived a life that we could not live, who died a death that our sin deserved. And it is when we trust in that Jesus and that Jesus alone, we are made right with you. We are redeemed and rescued to you ready to do the holy work that you've created us for. Help us to trust in you. Help us to continue trusting in you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. His name we pray. Amen. Jesus, lover of my soul, Jesus, I will never let you go. Taking me from the miry clay, setting my feet upon the rock, and now I know I love you. I need you, though my world may fall. I thought folks would walk out hearing a message like that. It is not a positive message. It's not a message that most churches would give you, but it is one that the Bible has for us. And I'm thankful for us to set through a message like that together. There's strength when we're together, when we come together. God created us for community, and it's, it's in these moments when we wrestle with God's truth that it's helpful to look around and see other people wrestling with it too. We're going to transition now to our giving back to God. This is a time for our members and our, get, our, our tenders to give uh, back to God. If you're a guest with us, we're going to pass some plates. Just let these plates pass you. Uh, again, this is for our members and our tenders. Would you pray for our giving this morning? Let's pray. <clears throat> Grace, Heavenly Father, we do give thanks for this day, Lord. Thank you for your grace and uh, for your son Jesus Heavenly Father we pray for this time of giving back Lord we just pray that you would bless the offering to your service here at church Lord we just thank you and we love you and we pray all these things to your son Jesus Christ Amen
My name is Cooper Guy. I'm the student pastor here at White Plains. And just a few things before you go. Um, we have girls' small groups at the Pierce House tonight at 6 p.m. And guys' small groups are right here in the church tonight at 6 p.m. And then I have something just a little different than a usual encouragement. I just wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about a few things student ministry has planned this year. In April, we have a girls' event. It's called Girls' Night of Purpose. Um, and really, what we want to do is we want our girls to graduate and know their worth and know that they have purpose. And we want them to know what it means to follow God and to be a child of the King. And so we have a whole event geared towards just that, just understanding our purpose. In October, we have a guys' event, Guys Not of Purpose, and the same thing. We want our guys to graduate and grow up knowing their purpose knowing what it means to be a child of the king. And so what we're going to do is we're going to have our girls come in and they're going to have pictures taken and they're going to get flowers and they're going to eat some food and they're going to listen to somebody speak to them and our guys are going to grill and change a tire hopefully and learn how to check their own oil and whatnot, you know. Just a few things that they probably need to know how to do, you know. Uh, maybe tie a tie. I don't know how to do that, but I've heard if you're a man, you know how to tie a tie. So I probably need to figure that out. Um, but really and truly, if we have a lot of good stuff planned, and our student ministry is growing. And if you say, Cooper, I, I, I want to be a part of some of the stuff you're doing. I want to I want to be a part of that. I want to, to be a part of the girls' event or the guys' event, or I want to just be a part of this student ministry. Um, please come and talk to me. We have a place for you. And my biggest reason for telling you that or saying that we have a place for you is I just don't want you to miss it. We're doing a lot of good stuff. We're doing a lot of good stuff. We're reaching a lot of students. And I don't want you to miss out on an opportunity to be a part of the student ministry if you want to be a part of it. So um, I love you. Have a great rest of your day. Let's pray and you'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for who you are. Father, bless us and guide us. Keep us, Father. Father, let us stay focused on you. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.